is that Sopranos was the first show to introduce this idea of your main protagonist, Tony Soprano, being a villain. This is Alex. And this is M. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is the podcast for TV lovers, movie buffs, and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we loved, what we hated, and what's just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to, and do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after the episode outtakes curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash good, bad, basic. Today, Em and I will be discussing the first three seasons of the family crime drama, The Sopranos. When the series opens, The Sopranos protagonist, Tony Soprano, is the head of the DiMeo crime family. And the series takes us into his deeply intertwined family and work lives as we explore this deeply flawed character. Tony is a family man, yet the presence of his wife and children does nothing but pull him further into the life of crime that he's chosen. So how do we think The Sopranos has held up 21 years after its debut? Stay tuned. everyone so some information about the sopranos it is a crime drama created by david chase it aired from january 10th 1999 until june 10th 2007 on hbo for six seasons and a total of 86 episodes the series stars james gandolfini as tony soprano eddie falco as carmelo soprano tony's wife lorraine brocco as dr jennifer melfi tony's psychiatrist Jamie Lynn Sigler as Meadow Soprano, Tony and Carmela's daughter. Robert Eiler as Anthony Soprano Jr., a.k.a. AJ, Tony and Carmela's son. Nancy Marchand as Livia, Tony's mother. Ada Tutoro as Janice, Tony's sister. Dominic Chianis as Corrado Soprano, a.k.a. Jr., who's Tony's paternal uncle. Steve Bashumi as Tony Blendetto, Tony's cousin. Michael Imperioli as Christopher Maltasanti, Tony's nephew and protege. Dan Grimaldi as the twins Patsy and Phil Parisi. Drea De Matteo as Adriana Lacerva, Christopher's girlfriend and later fiance. Vincent Pastore as Sal Bonpensiero, aka Big Pussy. And Tony Kalem as Angie Bonpensiero, Sal's wife. So these are all of our major players. These are the people that will have the biggest impact on all six seasons of The Sopranos. And you guys, I really had to do some quick maths when I wrote up this program because I could not believe 1999 was 21 years ago. Girl, (laughs) crazy. (laughs) Oh, these kids are driving, girl. 
They're like, they're voting. They're, they're, they're voting. They're drinking. Oh my gosh, what's happening? <laughs> it's real out here in these streets. Um, so The Sopranos, like we said, is a crime drama, a family crime drama. Now, when this show was announced, I did not watch it. I don't. I don't think I watched The Sopranos until it, like, when Netflix was first new, like when Netflix was still sending out DVDs in the mail. That's when I started watching The Sopranos. But I knew when it was announced that the show would do well because Americans really, really love anything having to do with the mob. Girl, they love it. And they love, like, Italians. I don't know. They, I think it's because, like, Italians low-key think they're, the, they're, like, the black people of white people. <laughs> Probably. Like, <laughs> so they love it. <laughs> um, uh, like, I know the Irish came here first, and then when you came here, they treated you bad, you guys. But you, y'all white now. Yeah, we'll get into <laughs> that. Because there's actually something later on in, like, the series that I think that sort of, like, addresses that, that I was happy that it did. Even if I think it did it superficially. But this is actually my first time watching this show. This is, like, a first viewing for me. And, like, I know, like, I mean, I knew of it, obviously, because it's, like, you know, it's number one on that WGA list, girl. Wow. So, I mean, listen, I'm just glad it's higher than West Wing. <clears throat> all shade, all tea. But, okay. Okay, exactly. <laughs> Same. Number one is a lot to me, but okay. It's like, I, yeah, it's like like the critically acclaimed show. It's the, like, because the whole idea, I mean, there are books that you can buy. <laughs> People have written, like, like 300 page books about this series like criticism um there are books there are podcasts there are like there's everything in everything in that girl about this this series um but I think the big thing one of the big things probably the biggest is that Sopranos was the first show to introduce this idea of your main protagonist Tony Soprano being a villain right and I mean some there's some people that are still going to be like, well, he's not a villain, villain. He's like an anti-hero, and whatever you want to call it, but he is a villain. And I think that Tony Soprano um, walked so that Walter White could run. Um, yeah, Tony Soprano walked so that all these sociopathic white men could fly. Like he did mm-hmm. it for all the girls. I mean, it's interesting too because he's the only one seeking therapy, <laughs> right? That's the part that's crazy. <laughs> like, uh, sir. Sure. Oh, and even then, like, ugh, girl, we'll talk about that therapist. <laughs> like, because I, I also, when I was doing a bit of research, I read a thing about how like therapists are like really upset with the portrayal of that therapist, and I would be too. Yeah, it's unprofessional, but we're get, we're gonna get to that we're in a minute. That. Season one, we meet Tony and his family. Tony works with the New Jersey-based DeMeo family mob. He is. The, their mob boss, Jackie April Sr., died, and he's the unofficial underboss. He holds the true power while his uncle Junior is like the face of the family. But Junior's not really in charge. Tony is. Tony has recently had a panic attack, and he's in therapy. The therapist that he's seeing, Dr. Melfi, is someone that he's deeply attracted to. And let's be honest, his attraction to her is why he keeps going to therapy. She's attracted to him as well. She never acts on it, but the attraction leads her to some truly unprofessional behaviors. Yeah. And then also I think he goes because like he's a narcissist. (laughs) 
<laughs> and right. like feels like really great that somebody is like entertaining all of his bullshit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I think he understands that she's attracted to him as well. And he likes that. Right. Because she's not doing her job of referring him to another therapist, which is what you're supposed to do when you're attracted to your patient. <laughs> right. Like she initially starts out a pretty professional figure. And it's interesting because uh, the first scene we see is him and her in this session. I actually really initially like her because she's essentially the audience surrogate. Mm-hmm. Right. She's us the audience. So she kind of poses all these questions that the audience would, would probably have for what Tony's doing. And I like her. And I mean, that's sort of her function in like the narrative of, in the construction of the story. And that's fine. I wish the show had just stuck to that because it's perfectly great. Like I didn't need to know more about her life. I didn't really need to know more about her. In my opinion, like when we get to know more about her, like that's when like, that's when the bad things happen. (laughs) Right. I mean, I kind of feel like a lot of these dramas do therapists a huge disfavor. They always portray them as a like overeducated incompetence or their bumbling comedic relief. Or in these dramas in particular, they are always unethical. They're crossing the line with at least one patient whether it's an emotional line or a physical line. Dr. Melfi does it. I've seen it on Gypsy. I've seen it on In Treatment. This is why people don't take mental health seriously because sometimes life does imitate art. People see these things after you tell them these people are professionals and it only reinforces their own biases not to get mental health treatment. Right, yeah. The Sopranos is low-key the OG show about toxic masculinity and toxic patriarchy. I don't think the show is taking that position, but low-key, that's what it's about. I'm trying to run through all the shows I've seen. And it is a sh- the sh- that's what the show's about, but I'm trying to see if there was like an earlier show. I'm going through this in my head. <laughs> Y'all gonna be mad at me, but the OG show about toxic masculinity and toxic patriarchy was actually Seventh Heaven. <laughs> oh, you think so? <laughs> oh, well, that's tr- well, it's like from a religious... <laughs> That's probably, I I did not watch a bunch of Seventh Heaven in my day, but I will, I'll take it. I'll, I'll acquiesce to that. But I say this is the OG show because it's like every single turn, every single thing in every single person's life on this show would be fixed if they just like did not subscribe to these toxic patriarchal ideas. Agree. It's the same format. Breaking Bad, The Shield, Sons of Anarchy. Very, very different storylines. But at the heart of it, you have a toxic male or a group of toxic males and the um, collateral damage with their friends and family. Basically. You hope that he's going to therapy and he'll unlearn some of this stuff? No. Which brings me to some other members of his family and when we meet them on the outset. We meet his wife, Carmela Sopranos, who... I love, I just want her to win. Poor Carmela. Carmela Sopranos, who is actually really tormented. Like she, not tormented, but she initially is somebody who is, she likes her life, but she is very aware of the fact of the things that her husband has done to get them this life. And it doesn't quite sit with her, but she's doing all the things and trying to be a good wife and a good Catholic. But it doesn't matter. She's unhappy. Like, her man is cheating on her all day long. You know, she's trying to see a way through. 
Right. You know, when I first watched The Sopranos, I kind of sort of low-key felt sorry for Carmela as well. And I, it, she's still someone that I wanted good things for, despite my feelings about her changing. But having to rewatch some of this series for this season after um, rewatching some of the episodes in The Shield and juxtaposing her with the Corinne character, I felt a lot less sympathy for Carmela. Fair. The reason for that being is Corinne left Vic long before she knew Vic was a cheater. And let's be real, like Vic wasn't out here putting his dick in everything like Tony is. She left Vic because of his criminal enterprises and she didn't want that shit to blow back on her family. Despite the fact that her man is a cop and there would really be no fallout for the family other than him going to jail if he got caught. Tony is part of a mob family. That is a much greater level of risk. Everything he does could literally mean annihilation for the entire family. And Carmela's not stupid. She knows that. But her chief bone of contention is the fact that her man is a serial cheater, not the fact that he's a literal criminal. <laughs> Even in these first couple of episodes, she does express a anxiousness about the actual crime. Right. I mean, that's true. But I guess the reason for me where it kind of rings hollow is because, as you said, she really enjoys the fruits of that labor. So, like, mm. how much do you hate what he does when you love the lifestyle it's afforded? You understand what I'm saying? Like, the only thing I can really believe you when you say is that you want him to stop, you know, being community dick. <laughs> right. And listen, I, I guess I have empathy for Carmela because Carmela is, is in a weird position she she was born and bred for this and this is why i'm talking about like toxic masculinity talk like the only person who really escapes is meadow who we'll we'll talk about in a second i think this whole sort of cycle meadow is probably the only one that that gets that i think frees herself carmela was raised in a very specific way you know and and as the series goes on we realize this is something that carmela will even bring up to meadow way later on in the series but Carmela's like, well, you have options. I never had options. I did the best with what I had. And I think marrying Tony, knowing that that was the kind of money that was going to come in, was part of her bad options. Like, we find out she's not, she's somebody who desired education, but couldn't necessarily afford it, didn't come from that kind of family, and did the best with what was in front of her. But then also, even though these ideas made her unhappy, that's all she knew. So she subscribed and she did what she thought she was supposed to do in this sort of hierarchy of being um, this type of woman. So I guess that's why I cut Carmela the slack. I cut her. No, that's a, that's a fair point. That's a really good point because we really don't know a lot about the Corinne character and what her life was like prior to Vic, but I want to believe that she probably had a much fuller richer life before marrying Vic and then becoming a stay-at-home mom, whereas Carmela, her life is probably a lot richer and fuller now because, like you said, she didn't have a lot growing up. And, you know, we have to think about the cultural context, too. For the most part, Italian-Americans are still raised... Um, especially in the New Jersey, New York areas, are still raised very differently insofar as women being raised to be wives and mothers. And, you know, it's possible that she married Tony because she knew that his money could afford a better life for any children that she might have. And she didn't want her children to struggle like she struggled. So, um, yeah, that's a fair point. I can see that. 
I will absolutely give Carmela her things because, like I said, even though I I ended up feeling less sympathy for her than when I first watched the show, she is a truly sympathetic character. And I have to keep in mind the fact that Tony is not a Vic. Um, yes, it's hard to leave a cop, but it's even harder to leave a man who's in the mob, guys. Oof, girl. <laughs> we'll get into that because woo, the people that are, the women that got sacrificed at the altar of these men, oh, God, it's it's hard to watch. And then that brings us to Meadow. When we first start the season, Meadow is like, what, she's a freshman in high school? I think she, I think she's a, she's, she's a, sophomore. a sophomore. Yeah. Yeah. Tony's daughter. Oh, sorry, guys. She's a junior. She was a junior in high school. Okay, so she's a junior. My bad. I really liked the Meadow character initially when she's presented to us. Meadow is great. She's very smart. She's observant. She's the smarter, I guess, more level-headed of the two children. She has an awareness of what her father does and the life that she is in. And she's not necessarily about it, but it's also she's like... It is what it is. Part of the reason why I really, really love this Meadow character is that so much of what she was dealing with and I think how her parents handled her felt so reminiscent of like, but like I went through <laughs> with my parents um, in terms of just how the things and the expectations and what they expect of you. You know what it was about Meadow? Meadow was a true blue millennial, I think. And that's why I empathize so much with her. Uh, she is very self-aware and very in touch with her emotions and, and her mental health in a way that I think our parents just weren't and didn't want to be. And she's that way naturally. And she values those things and puts those things in consideration into the things she does. And and I I just really loved her character. That's the- Right. I really enjoyed the Meadow character. And, you know, in regards to our parents and their mental health, um, I remember someone once said to me, you know, some people don't want help because they don't know who they are without their trauma. Their trauma is a part of their identity now. And Tony's one of those people. And one of his greatest sources of trauma is his relationship with his mother, Livia, who is such an interesting character. So interesting. They basically have have the same relationship that Bojack had with his mom on Bojack Horseman. (laughs) Or like Sterling Archer had with his mom on Archer. Oh my gosh, Livia, Livia Soprano. Livia is a character. I don't, Livia fascinates me endlessly. Like Livia is definitely like a true blue narcissist, but like I can't decide. I can never make up my mind about her, but I'm utterly fascinated and interested by her. Yeah, it's super interesting to me too. Like I feel like the show flirted with this quite often. Like there was something between Livia and Junior. So Livia um, is uh, Tony's mom, like we said, and Junior is his father's brother, his uncle on his paternal uncle, and his father is long dead. But I don't even know if what I'm seeing is really a flirtation or it's like a meeting of minds because Livia and Junior, prior to him becoming um, senile, are such similar people. They are. They are. They're very similar people. Crazy. Like, he's basically surrounded by toxicity. And that's fine um, to deal with that 
in ways that may not be the healthiest and may even be self-destructive, but it's more than just self-destructive now. Tony is a destructive force to the people around him, and it accelerates as the seasons progress. Um, One of the ways that it starts out, and it starts out small, it starts off in a way that he can brush off. It starts off in a way that a lot of men especially men in this type of lifestyle can kind of brush off as normal is the fact that Tony is a chronic womanizer. He cheated on Carmela their entire marriage. He's continuing to cheat on her. And Carmela handles this in a really interesting way. I found with, she starts having a whole emotional affair, read emotional with the priest at their church, Father Phil Intanola. Father Intentola is a whole ass platonic hoe, you guys. He flirts with all the women in their church to get that good home-baked ziti and rigatoni. <laughs> he gets so close to the line. Like... Right. Like he's really playing with them. This is not in their head. He is, he is playing with them. He knows they're lonely and he plays on it to get these home-baked goods. That's why he's a hoe. (laughs) Yeah. He gets very close to the line. I mean, there's an episode where he's over there and Tony's not over there. And I don't know, it's like the power goes out or like the, I don't remember. I don't quite remember like what's happening like what the context is. But um, I remember like there's candlelight and the lighting's really low and they're sitting from across from each other. Him and Carmela are sitting across from each other floor and they're talking really low. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, like, I was like, holy shit. They're like, they going to smash? They don't. Father Antontola like sleeps over at the house. He like, he really like gets right, right up to that line. Yeah, Father Intentola is such a trash person because you're an adult. You know what you're doing. And, you know, like you said, he get, he comes close to that edge. He doesn't go off of it. And I guess he can tell himself that he is not breaking his vows because priests do have to take vow of celibacy. But what you're doing is really destructive because you're getting these people emotionally attached to you. Tony Soprano has lots of women that he is having sex with and just out here doing stuff. And at first I did not understand the allure of Tony Soprano. Like every time I just saw one of his mistresses, I was like, girl, love yourself. Like, you know, <laughs> I want better for you. Why don't you want better for yourself? But I understand the allure of Tony Soprano and I understood it the best in like the later half of season one. There's an episode where there's like a dental student from like, I think she's from Spain. And she's, you know, very beautiful. And they just meet somewhere. And she asks Tony something about, oh, like, I'm new here. And I wanted, like, a hero sandwich. Like, where do I get one of those? Like, I'm so hungry. And, you know, Tony is immediately like, no, girl, like, you don't want that. Like, let me let me take you out somewhere. And, like, he takes her to this really gorgeous, like, expensive, like, beautiful restaurant and, like, they serve wine, and, like, he's, like, ordering. He, like, knows all the good stuff on the menu and can say all the words, right? And I'm, like, no, I see it. I see. And then, like, and in, and it's, and he's very, like, attentive and, like, interested in her in a way that, like, he's not interested, like, in his wife. And I was, like, okay, no, I get it. I see it. I understand the power. Mm. Yeah, men like Tony have a habit of being super engrossed in you and super interested 
during the pursuit. <laughs> Once they got you, girl, that romance goes right out the window. I get the allure of Tony. Um, I think when you started watching the show and you didn't get it and you're like, why do these women want Tony? My answer actually wasn't the, the his attentiveness or anything like that. I feel like a lot of the women who are into Tony are into Tony because they they like flirting with danger. Y'all 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 like it. You you want to touch the flame and not get burned. And Tony get, has a lot of magnetism in so far as when you see Tony, you it's very clear from the way he carries himself that this is a man with power. Right. I think there's also something very alluring about this idea of like a working class, like a rough working class person, which Tony is, like who can be well-read and like knows lots of things about other things, has a taste for like the more sensual pleasures in life. That's very, there. there's something very exciting and alluring about that. Tony's a whole problem. And the biggest problem his uh, adversary in season one is actually his uncle Junior. AJ is punished for something. And Tony has him visit his grandmother, Livia, who he has since put in a home because she's a problem and can't live with the fucking family. (laughs) AJ lets the bills slip to Livia that Tony is in therapy. And of course, Livia hop, skips and jumps to tell Junior this. And he tries to make a move on Tony with Livia's help, no less. It's so sad. No loyalty for her own son. Um, Tony retaliates and the season ends with... His mother having a stroke and Junior being arrested by the FBI. But don't think this is the end of Livia and Junior. Not by the not by a long shot. Oh God, not by a long shot. And it's funny, this assassination plot is all hatched out of like Tony's in therapy. Like that's literally it. Right, which is it's just crazy, and it kind of shows the relationship that they have with mental health. The whole family needs to be in therapy, if we're being really, really real. <laughs> Everybody in the DeMeo crime family needs to seek help, period. period. <laughs> Some other low highlights of season one is Tony's, Tony's nephew, um, um, Christopher. Christopher is... He wants to write movies and he's writing a screenplay about the family. That's a problem. Christopher just does a lot of things that is just interesting. Christopher is basically just, he's a lot like AJ. Like, I guess he's like the more competent version of AJ, but not by much. Right, right, right. Not by much. Um, And he is older than AJ. AJ. So it's like, you should be further along than this. (laughs) But no, season one is great in that it it shows us the highlights and the lowlights of Tony's life. We get to see in real time, not through flashbacks, the people who've made him who he is, why he is, how he is, and the different facets of him. We get Tony the married man, Tony when he's pursuing some someone, Tony at work and not waste management. We get to see who this character is as a fully actualized person. We don't really have to learn more about Tony in the following seasons. We know him now. All we have to do is follow his life. Season one. How's season one? I thought season one was very good. What about you? I think season one is good. We get introduced to all these characters. There's... A lot going on in in the plot with regards to Tony and the family and 
these other sort of male characters we haven't touched on. Don't worry, we'll get there. I get like a real feel for everybody. So yeah, good. So season two, it's also 13 episodes. Um, we picked up right where we left off. Now, Kareto's assassination attempt on Tony was basically to like take him out while he was in therapy. And so he sent his therapist, Dr. Melfi, um, a warning. And so she's on the run. Uh, she's still on the run in the opening of season two. And we are introduced to Tony's sister, Janice, who comes to stay with the family. Livia is recovering from her stroke, and Junior's just been released from prison on house arrest. It's wild to me that you can be arrested by the FBI as a white man and be arrested on house arrest, but we got tons of black men still doing five, ten years for smoking a joint. Ain't life grand. <laughs> I'm not bitter. <laughs> um, right. Speaking of black people going to prison or black people being untreated fairly. There is an episode in season two. There's a Christopher Columbus episode that I think is dumb and I hate it, but there is an episode in season two where there's like a group of black people and they're protesting like the union and like they're, how they're unable to get into the union. Super small history lesson before the unions um, are busted up. Like they are now um, there was like an issue in like, in like, with um, unions being uh, controlled or unions having like mob like problems in terms of like there's like a, there was a mafia presence like within the unions, which is why you will always hear, which is why you'll hear like some old Republicans be like, oh, well, the unions are all run by the mob, rah, rah, rah. Because that was a legitimate problem at one time. And Tony Soprano and his family are representative of that because Tony is in waste management, but he's in the mob and he's also in the union. So that's part of, he is part of like essentially that story and history, um, putting it in context. And I say all this to say, I, there is an episode, black people are protesting the union and I, the show doesn't super touch on it, but I do like that it's there because I think it speaks to something that people don't like to talk about. Well, I will say Irish and Italian Americans don't like to talk about in that when you did like originally, like when these unions are formed and they are, and they were predominantly Italian and Irish, Irish and Italian Americans very promptly, (laughs) very quickly and promptly uh, kicked all the black people out of the union. So they could not get union benefits. (laughs) And there was a, big problem of discrimination uh, of African-Americans from these unions uh, that would have given them basic protections, but they could not access that. And I do like that, however brief, and although it's not really given any explanation in context, and you would have to know the history to know this, it still touches on that. (laughs) It's sad to me because, and this is, this is kind of, you see similar things. It is something worth noting, however superficially they did it. But season two, season two was interesting. We meet a couple of new people, the, uh, the Janice character, Tony's sister, and we, we kind of dig deeper into Big Pussy's character. But I mean, season one showed you the dysfunction. Season two blows it wide open. Right. We, season two, we really start to see the fallout. Imagine, imagine this crime syndicate is, oh, we're family, we're family, but it's your own uncle and mother that are conspiring to kill you. Like, imagine. 
Like, and these are the things that kind of make you feel low-key sorry for Tony. As much as I dislike Tony Soprano, even he's a much more sympathetic character than Walter White to me for this reason. Season two also marks when I think Dr. Melfi, for me at least, is completely, like, compromised and becomes super incompetent. Like, it's when she just crosses all the lines and I'm just, oh, we're done with this. There's an episode in season two where she, where Dr. Melfi goes to her own therapist and she basically admits that she's not being in effect and comes to the conclusion that she needs to end treating Tony because he's a dangerous person and because it's not healthy for her. And so she does. And then she takes him back as a patient again. Why? Because... She just misses that thrill of danger by treating him. And I'm just like, girl, what? Which, as a mental health professional, should <laughs> that's a huge red flag, sis. And this is the thing that bothers me with Dr. Melfi. She has some level of self-awareness, and she has the clinical training to understand her behaviors, but she indulges in them anyway. It, it really is like the metaphor of the kid playing with fire. And I guess that's what I'm saying about what I'm like, I didn't need more of her character. If she, I don't think she needed to be woven into the plot the way she was because she, I think she functions best when she stands apart from the rest of this world within the narrative. Yeah, I would have liked it if she ultimately became a recurring character after season one. Like she goes on the run, eventually comes back, um, um, she doesn't contact Tony because he's a danger. And maybe he doesn't contact her because he realizes the source of his anxiety, or maybe he believes the source of his anxiety is solely his family um, and the problems that they bring him. And he stops seeking therapy altogether, which would actually make sense for his character. And maybe he doesn't come to see her again until another uh, critical um inciting or panic inducing event happens maybe in season three or season four and in that regard she would become a recurring character i really didn't need her to be part of the principal cast the way that she was oh i mean i don't mind that she's as frequent as she is i just like i said i don't like this whole she has to go on the run part like i just i think they could have done it in a way that like because like I said, like I like that she's, she functions as the audience surrogate. I think that's very effective. Um, and, I and I like it in that we get... Uh, I like the confessionals, essentially. That's what those scenes are, basically. The, the confessionals from Tony about the mental state and the reflection. I like those breaks. I think they're interesting and good. She just... I just... I didn't need her to, to do, like... I didn't need that. I didn't need the rape that happens. I didn't need, I didn't need any of that. Like none of that was necessary. Uh, yeah, none of it was necessary. Um, sad. Um, this show really does a lot to try to up the ante. So in this season, Jackie April senior son, um, who was the former head of the DeMeo family, his son, Richie, is released from prison. And this causes tension because he feels that as Jackie's son, he should just have a place and be in charge via nepotism. He doesn't understand this new hierarchy. It's not like a bootleg monarchy anymore. You have to earn your position, especially when you've been out of the game for a long time, like he has. 
the situation is very quickly diffused, though, when Tony's sister Janice kills Richie. Yo! <laughs> so, what happened? <laughs> she did it. Girl! What had happened was... Oh, no. Um, yeah, so what had happened was Janice, basically, he, Richie has the son. The son who, she has a son who likes to dance ballroom. And, like, right, Janice is in a relationship with him, right? Not the son, but the father, Richie. And Janice, because she's not a psycho, en- encourages the son uh, ballroom dancing, right? And Richie is, like so angered by it off of nothing but just like toxic masculinity and homophobia that's it janice is cooking for him one night and he's yelling at her because he's like i hate that you encourage the ballroom dancing and he's like he could end up like gay and janice was like well he's doing something you know he's spending his time he's doing something that he's good at that's good that's affirming basically all the things that you would want someone your partner She's basically invested in his child in a way that you want your partner to be invested in your child. Because she's like, oh, but he's good at it. And, you know, it's something he's doing. And he's like, you know, making all these milestones and doing these accomplishments. And ballroom dancing is a legitimate art. And and she says, what does it matter if he's gay anyway? And Richie balls his fist and like pulls it back and just hits her in the mouth. I mean, he makes her bleed. And then he sits down and then he looks at her and he's like, what are you going to do? Cry? You're going to cry about it? After she is like bleeding and a bruise is forming on her face. My girl very calmly goes into the next room, gets the nine millimeter and pops him twice in that chest. And I was like, yo, energy. He had it coming. <laughs> um, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> All I'm going to say about that. Yeah. Richie had it coming for various reasons. Like, even if he hadn't been an abusive asshole of a partner, he don't need to be nobody's daddy, his homophobic ass. Um, right? I'm like, have <laughs> kids? Yeah, you don't, need to ha- you don't need to be raising children, ever. But let's be clear. He hit her over this discussion about his son being in ballroom dance. He's an abuser, the fact that he hit her. But his immediate response to hitting her lets you know that this is his personality. Mm-hmm. He, th- this would have happened eventually, in a conversation about literally anything. Anything. It was a matter of time. And the, and the ease of which he did it is like, yeah. That the, shit was crazy. That shit was... and But like, yo, the fact that he only had to do that shit once. <laughs> and my girl was like, you know what? I don't think so. Because it only takes one time. And you know what? I feel like that scene kind of gives you a glimpse into Janice as a person. This girl's been hit before. Because there's no fucking way anybody's that prepared. <laughs> right? She was so prepared. <laughs> like, she was just like, not again. Like, you ain't going to try me a second time. Uh, I love Harpo, but I'll shoot him dead if if he lays his hand on me. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, she was giving me that Sophia energy. But she was like, Sophia hit Harpo back. Janice just ended the situation, which I, I approve. I strongly. I- strongly approved um Um, but then tony and his men um you know they hide the evidence and janice 
quickly returns to Seattle. I mean, she's his sister. What is he going to do? And Richie, like, it's kind of like the mob code. I'm not saying a lot of these men don't abuse their wives. We know they do. But it's they. there's a code of honor within the mafia that says, like, like you don't hit women and children. Well, I mean, not, not even that. Uh, it's funny. There's a scene this season where, like, they... they before this happens that they remark on it. Christopher, don't don't quote me on this. Christopher goes to hit Adriana. And one of the men are are like, you, she's not your wife. You can't hit her yet. Yet. Ooh. He right. says, like, you can only like you unless you you only hit her if she's your wife. So that's like, what? This whole mentality that they all have is so like isn't health it's just not healthy like everyone everyone suffers everyone suffers but like the women suffer the most yeah i remember this scene in particular the scene with adriana where i'm just like it kind of reminded me of desi and lucy's relationship i don't know if you guys are familiar with desi arnaz and lucille ball they were the couple from i love lucy they were married in real life they had two children together etc so there were times on the show where lucy would act up so severely that Ricky had to spank her, had to, in quotation marks. And he puts her over his knee and literally spanks her like a child. But um, what a lot of people don't understand is, while it was for comedic effect, spanking your wife was still legal in the United States at that time. Yeah, it was legal to, to hit your wife, spank your wife, what have you. People wouldn't say anything about it unless you left bruises in visible places. And even then, when it, was, when it elevated from spanking to beating, which really isn't much of a difference, it wasn't illegal. And this is why um, you have a lot of older men in particular that will see younger men mistreating their wives. And even if they don't approve it, they're not going to get in the middle of it because that's your wife. And legally, that is your property to hit and spank because that's the environment they grew up in. Even if they never hit their wives, they grew up at a time where men didn't just beat and spank their wives, but openly talked and bragged about it. Big pussy, he got scooped up by the feds. Right. But because he's actually a real one, at first anyway, he feeds the FBI false information when he's forced to wear a wire, but then later like becomes a legit informant. And when Tony realizes this, he kills him on a boat and tosses the body at sea. Like legit snaps for the way he went about it because it saved him all that hassle of like burying a body or whatever. <laughs> The FBI gets a search warrant and arrests Tony at this close, um, which I thought was interesting because they arrested him on charges completely unrelated to the fact that he murdered Big Pussy. <laughs> yeah, and that's season two. I thought season two was very good. I also liked season two. Yeah, I thought season two was very good as well. I liked these these plot lines that weren't that were only like peripherally tied to Tony, like the Janice Ritchie situation, Big Pussy, Livia recovering from her stroke, all of that stuff that it's kind of just indirectly tied to Tony. I really like that. I like that season two focuses more on some of these auxiliary characters. Season three, where, where are we at? Season three, 13 episodes. Meadow is at Columbia University as a freshman in college. And Carmela, with one less child in the house and a lot more time on her hands, has started taking tennis lessons again. The FBI has a soprano house under surveillance, but then plumbing issues get in the way of this. 
and we're introduced to a character called Patsy Parisi, who plans um, his revenge for the murder of his murder of his identical twin, Phil, um, who had a hit put out on him by Tony. So we are tossed into a, a great new world. The drama never lets up. Let's talk about it. First, before we get into it, shout out to this Britney Spears song happening in episode four. Oops, I did it again. I like <laughs> to hear B Spears. You know, that's my girl. I love her. So Olivia's dead. Um, she was recovering from that stroke, but then, like, you know, she hit that wall because she's an old woman who had a stroke. Listen. And she has a lot of hate in her heart, too. That doesn't she help. She did. Like, that old bitch died. And it's crazy because, like, usually, like, White people who are, like, evil, like, cut a deal with the devil and they live forever. But she died. I mean, even the evil ones don't turn on their own children like this. She did She did it to herself. I don't feel bad for her. Um, <laughs> this season, Christopher also becomes a made man, which is what they call a fully initiated member of the mob. Because before he was just, like, a foot soldier, but now he's a made man. He's in this shit for life. It is a gang. They don't want to call it that shit, but that's what the fuck it is, you guys. It's a gang. You're in it for life. You're in it for um, life. At this point, he can no sooner leave the mob than he can than he can separate himself from these people biologically. Like you're you're they're completely intertwined. The interesting thing about season three is that because of the way that he killed Big Pussy, no one else was around. There was no body to stash. He didn't tell anybody that he killed Big Pussy, obviously, because Big Pussy was part of this crime family. And Big Pussy's wife, Angie keeps asking Tony to borrow money because she's under the assumption that her that her husband has just temporarily disappeared. Mm. Girl. So this woman don't even know she a widow, you guys. <laughs> I hate it. That sucks. Ooh. Um, yeah, it's and it's really hard to look at it, um, especially if she keeps asking Tony for more and more people because apparently Angie lives a very luxurious lifestyle and he has to keep her in the light that she's accustomed to because he can't tell her where her man really is swimming with the fishes. Right. Uh, also the therapist is, is raped for no reason this season. I, I don't want to talk about it. I just want to acknowledge it. I think it, it's yeah, terrible. I we had to give her that, that added layer of trauma. Like was her character not complex enough for you people? Does does crimes against women make us more interesting to the viewing <laughs> audience? How does that work? How does that work? Please explain <laughs> it to me like I'm stupid. I hated it. It was dumb. It was unnecessary. And then like, ugh, I, everything about it sucked. It's used for the sole purpose for her to be like even more unprofessional than she already was. And I hated it. That's all. That's it. Let's talk about this biracial boy that Metal brings to the house. <laughs> yeah, so we already extensively covered that these people are racist as fuck, right? And then she brings home her whole black Jewish boyfriend. Right. A whole... Sis. Sis. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I'm not saying keep your man in the closet. I'm saying keep him alive. I'm Yeah, I'm saying you... That could have ended badly. That could have ended so badly for him, and I feel like she knew better. And maybe she thought because he was he was biracial and he was real light skinned, and you could because you really he does sort of look ambiguous. Although he's not even mixed with Italians, says he's mixed with Jewish, and they don't fuck with them either. That's true. They they hardcore don't fuck with them. <laughs> like, um, and but Tony is like, I mean, white people, yo. Tony knows right away. <laughs> he just sees him and he's like you 
are not white. I know this. And Tony just really gives this little boy like a new one. And he's like, you need to leave my house, sir. Like blacks don't enter that door. Like, you know that. Like, and he's like, you can, you need to go find another nice little biracial girl. But my white daughter is not it, sir. I mean, you know what? I'm so tired of shows and movies because I've seen this in both mediums doing this thing where the white girl likes to either go through a period of rebellion or test her family, right? Test them by bringing home a black man. Stop. Stop. (laughs) Please stop. Unless you're really ready. You're in this for the long haul. You're trying to get married and have children with this person. Stop it. Because the relationship really doesn't go anywhere after Tony is like, you need to leave my house. Meadow's not going to fight for him. She's not going to fight for that relationship. She brought him home to test her daddy, and I don't like it. That's true. She does it. She throws a temper tantrum. She loses her virginity to him, and then they break up. He's a clown, too, because, girl, had it been me, I would have been like, I will never go to that house ever again. And Meadow is, like, still trying to insist on bringing him in the house. I'd be like, that was my question. I was like, sir, why are you even entertaining her? And he can't be that stupid to think that her dad is, like, actually in waste management. Because waste management don't get you houses like that. (laughs) I actually think he was stupid enough to believe that. So funny enough, I think that biracial character is actually really interesting in that he's not really a character. He more signifies certain things that are, like, happening with Meadow in that he's from a completely different class than Meadow, right? Because he talks Mm -hmm. about when Tony's like, what do your parents do for a living? He goes... Well, both of my parents are in show business, like, or in the business. And his mother is like, he's, he talks about how his mother is like, um, either a a producer and his father is like a lawyer, like an entertainment lawyer. And the, you know, the way he speaks, the way he carries himself, you know, he's from California. You can tell he's, he's wealthy. And I did think that was interesting that Tony had the nerve to talk down to someone who was at a much younger age, essentially his better in the social hierarchy of like the world really right and i don't think that this the fact that like you said he was wealthy helped the situation at all in fact i think it hurt it because as much as white people like to pretend that like they would respect negroes if we were all successful and pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps they hate successful negroes aka uppity negroes they hate black people who have more money and um, more social reach and greater social status than them hate it I think that this boy was stepping on all of Tony's racist triggers as well as his own personal insecurities. Mm, Exactly, exactly. He's representative of this place that Tony will never ascend to, no matter how much money he makes, no matter what he does. It's interesting, like, Meadow is also ascending to that upper class just by knowing these people because that's how this works, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you learn to move in these circles, you learn how to act like these people and you can then be one of them because, you know, Meadow does have like this pedigree by going to Columbia. Right. And this is all the things Tony wants for her, but he, he kind of set this up so that she would have a stable, legitimate career and marry herself a nice wasp. Well, not a wasp because they don't, they don't fuck with Protestants, but you know, a nice white man. (laughs) Right. Yeah, Tony doesn't resent her. This is exactly what Tony wanted for her, minus the black Jewish boyfriend. (laughs) Right. 
he yeah tony's just mad because like how dare this this black jewish this black biracial jewish boyfriend like be in a higher social class than him and be his better and like what if this negro taints my bloodline (laughs) right (laughs) that's That's definitely it he's like what i didn't know you could taint the bloodline you could see him doing the quick maths like if she gets pregnant Will that kid look black or will he look like us? But human biology is very, very, very finicky. It's very fickle. Also, an aside, in episode five, I find it more to this point of like respectability and like in race and in Tony Soprano. I find it hilarious when a black police officer pulls over Tony and Carmela and Tony's driving and he catches like the worst attitude with this cop and he says some very choice things and I was like sir you have the whole FBI investigating you and you gonna pull an attitude with the with the police officer sir like whew, whiteness it's powerful it'd be making you think that you you really somebody he re- well he grew up at a time where all the cops in Jersey and New York were Italian Italian or Irish like, that was the thing. Black people in the police force, they worked overtime to make sure that you weren't there. So he's still, he's, again, time warp. He's still in the time where you could talk to niggas that way. Um, but, like, this nigga has a gun, sir. <laughs> right, like, <laughs> sir. You, and, and you were on the wrong side of the law, sir. Like, consistently. That's, that's what you do for a living. It's like, crime. watching this now, all I could think about was how quickly he would have got popped if their races were reversed. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, shot to the chest and then been like, oh, he was resisting or pulling out a weapon or something or something that don't make no damn sense. I my life. I have to get home to my three children. (laughs) But I was like, oof, whiteness really be making you feel like you somebody. That's crazy. Um, Right. So... Um, a lot happens in season three. I really want to get through some of this because it's so much. Yeah. Um, Christopher buys a whole nightclub to give to his woman, Adriana. Um, Meadow, who has now broken up with this Noah guy, starts dating, dating Jackie Jr., um, which Tony and Jackie Sr.'s widow, Rosalie, love. But Carmela is rightly very uneasy with because this shouldn't be what Tony wants either, even though he does. It shouldn't be what he wants because dating Jackie Jr. will basically keep her in this lifestyle forever. Right? Yeah. Like, do you want it, her to be Carmela? That's exactly. And that's why Carmela's uneasy because Carmela's like, Carmela knows that dating Jackie Jr. will turn Meadow into her. And she doesn't want that. Right. I mean, like you said, she does resent the fact that Meadow has more opportunities than she has, but it's not as if she feels that Meadow has taken these opportunities from her, right? And it's still her daughter. She still wants her to have a good life. And this is not the life that she wants for her. This is not what Tony should want for her either. But Tony's right now only thinking about himself and how it will help him to have his daughter dating Jackie Jr. Tony is reluctantly forced also to promote Jackie, a cokehead. And a domestic abuser who murdered his possibly pregnant girlfriend, Takapo. So we're de- dealing with the Ralph character, which is probably one of the starkest representations of toxic masculinity with a auxiliary character on this show. Ralph is completely out of control. Oh, yeah. Completely. Like, he literally beat his girlfriend to death. And the show alludes that she was possibly pregnant when this happened. Oof, it's scary. 
It's terrifying. But yeah, he has to promote Ralph to Calpo, which is crazy. And there's a whole episode or situation where Tony and Carmela do a couple session with Dr. Melfi. I could have, t- yeah, Stevie Wonder knew that was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> we could see that, <laughs> sweetie. We could see that. Uh, the therapist that you share a mutual attraction with is not the right person to be dealing with you alone, let alone you and your wife. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And even, ugh, even though I wish Carmela would go to therapy, Carmela needs to go to therapy. Shout out to Lady Gaga, who's in episode nine. She's so young, so blonde. I love how they get the most random Italians on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Gloria. Gloria, Gloria, Gloria. This is another patient of Dr. Melfi's, and she becomes Tony's latest paramour. That ends. <sighs> That, that is headed south pretty quickly. That ends around the time that Meadow and Jackie Jr. break up as well. I just want, I wanted, I wanted so much for Gloria. I just wanted Gloria to, Gloria is another one that I felt like a deep sympathy for. And I just wanted her to love herself. And Same. <laughs> she, I guess Gloria's interesting because she's just one of those characters that like from the outside, she like has it all. Like, Tony is actually very, like, a, like she's very alluring. Tony is very enraptured by her. Hair done, nails done, everything did. But she is, like, deeply emotionally, like, and mentally sick. <laughs> she, like, self-destructive, like, truly, honestly, like, self-destruct, self-harm. When she has the nerve to take Carmela out and, like, even, like, come face-to-face with Carmela, even though Carmela doesn't really know who, Carmela doesn't know who she is, I was like, sweetheart, is like the loss of your life something that you're trying to do? Gloria, I wanted better for her. We all saw where this was headed, but it's like it's like watching a car crash. Um, you really can't stop it. Can't um, stop it. It's 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 really it's really hard to watch. Um, so that relationship ended badly. Meadow and Jackie Jr. break up as well. And, oh, happy day. I was so happy to see that relationship end. Tony gives Ralph the responsibility of deciding the fate of Jackie Jr. And then they end him at the end of the, the season. The season finale is when he dies. So he right. dies two episodes after their breakup. Obviously, she still has feelings for him. And right. she's broken up about it. But she had to break up with him for, ironically, the same thing that got him that got him killed in the first place. Jackie Jr. just don't know how to act right, you guys. He makes stupid decisions. He is Christopher, but with, like, impulsivity of an AJ. Um, Right. It's never going to end well. He's young. He's dumb. He's reckless. And he ends up putting himself in that position of of, uh, ultimately getting killed. It's And it's ugly because Tony actually gives him a pass, right? Tony's like, I don't want to, like, kill my daughter's ex-boyfriend, particularly somebody that I'm invested in her marrying one day. Because Tony is that crazy about him. And Ralphie doesn't give him a pass. Ralphie's like, nah. Like, he just pops him. Now we knew Ralph was not going to give him a pass, which is like, I'm side-eyeing Tony because you know who the fuck you're dealing with. You know who Ralph is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like clearly you wanted this boy to die or you wouldn't have put Ralph in charge. <laughs> like, like just say with your chest, don't pretend like you like him. <laughs> you letting Ralph decide how his life is going to turn out. But yeah, all of that happens. Lots of drama in season three and season three actually ends off with a little, little teaser, a little cliffhanger 
of what's to come. So Adriana makes a new friend. She meets oh, at her no. club. But this. this fake ass friend is a whole op. She's an She's undercover hot. FBI agent. And and Adriana really needed a friend. She did. She did. And I think that's why they put this girl here because they're like, that bitch is lonely. That's how we're going to get to her. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, we'll get into it next episode. Season three. Where are you at with season three? I thought season three was actually very good. Better than season two if we can take away the whole unnecessary rape plot. Same, same. I like season three. I like um, everything that happens. Oh, uh, honorable mentions. I want to shout out my favorite character, Artie. Artie. I love Artie. Artie's so pure. People don't like Artie, but I love Artie. Artie is so pure. He just, he just wants to make, be at his restaurant and make delicious food. And I respect that. That's like, that's, that's energy. That's deep. Right, right. I like Artie. There's a lot of characters that I like. There, a lot of the characters that I like we're going to see on the back half, like the Tony Blundetto character, like I like him in juxtaposition to Tony Soprano. Um, and I like Steve Buscemi in anything. Um, he's one of those actors I will watch in anything. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, this this the show does a really great job with the kids, and it never it never veers off the storyline. Like it's not like these kids have problems that are so separate, right? It's not like oh, here's the main plot, and as an aside, here's what's happening with the children. It's actually interwoven into the main plot, which I thought is such strong writing. I mean, even on The Good Wife, when we were sweet, we got to know Alicia's children so well. What was going on with them was very often not having to do anything with what was going on with her. (laughs) Right, which made it a bit clunky. That's true. That's true. Yeah, so great job on the writing. um, And not making these children just an annoying distraction, which is sometimes the best we can hope for on a lot of these shows. Like, the children are just an annoying distraction, if we see them at all. Right. These They all serve a purpose, and they're all doing something. And there are these really interesting, excellent ideas contained within them, and particularly about, like, generations and, like, how each generation is different from the other. And that, yeah, that's just all stuff we'll get, we'll get more into in the back half. There you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the first half of The Sopranos good, bad, basic, and compelling. If you'd like to check out the series, The Sopranos is currently streaming on Hulu. Please let us know your thoughts on this series via our Twitter or Instagram. If you're a GBB patron on our top two tiers, be sure to check out our Sopranos Spotify playlist. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. Tune in next week when we'll be diving into the last three seasons of this HBO crime drama. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good, Bad, Basic on Twitter and at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. 
Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love the sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone.